Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Make no mistake, if you're an author, you're an entrepreneur. You're selling the world on your book, aren't you? Of course, it's not as easy as launching a business and then tossing any old book up on Amazon. That's why I help entrepreneurs publish books on the specific topic and in the specific way that will launch or grow their businesses. Welcome to Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with your professor, Anna David. Guys, it's Anna here. So how can we earn twice as much in half the time with ease and joy while serving the highest good? Wow. I've got the answer for you. I'm excited to put a new podcast on your radar. Maybe it's not new to you. Maybe you know it already. It's Free Time with Jenny Blake, where Jenny shares systems and strategies to help free your mind to do more of your best work, powered by delightfully tiny teams. She's the award-winning author of three books, including Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One, and her latest free time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business. Side note about Jenny, I've been following her work for years. I don't know that there's anyone out there who provides better systems in clearer ways. I'm a big fan, and I have a feeling you will be too, especially episodes 96, where she shares free time book sales stats one month post-launch. Now you're interested in that. And episode 84, sprinkling the first 1,000 serendipity seeds of a launch. There's also a Notion walkthrough for organizing her writing process. Yes, in episode 36 on Shaping Big Ideas. So go subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode at pod.link slash free time. That's pod.link slash free time. You'll be able to download the podcast and subscribe on any of the platforms. You can also take the free time quiz at its freetime.com slash quiz. That's itsfreetime.com slash quiz. Thank me later. Well, hello there. It's your professor, Anna David here. Have you downloaded my book elevator pitch template yet? What? You haven't? Go to bookelevatorpitch.com and remedy that right now because it's going to show you how to, uh, have a book elevator pitch for your book so that you can talk about it in a way that will help build your business and your authority and help you finish your book if you're still writing it. So today I have the delightful Whitney Gossett on the show. Now she's a former literary agent who has represented hundreds of authors and over 25 New York Times bestselling books. She got the hell out of traditional publishing because as I've been telling you, it's very, very broken. She 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 launched a company called Content Capital with um, Clint Greenleaf, who was the creator of hybrid publishing. 
And it is all about serving authors and their IP. Their focus is full podcast production, distribution, monetization. Um, they also do audiobooks. And we just had a delightful conversation about why authors need to have podcasts. I've talked in uh, before to uh, Jeremy Ends, which was all about how to create a podcast from your book. Um, but this really got into like, hey, if you've been thinking about having a podcast, um, a, it's not too early if you're still just writing your book and B, uh, there aren't, it's not as competitive as you may think. So enough with me. Let's listen to me talking to Whitney Gossett. Oh, I didn't mention show notes. Go to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com slash blog slash Whitney and grab them. Bye. Okay. Now, Whitney. We bonded over our shared feeling that traditional publishing is broken. True? Yes, true, Anna. It is um, wild that in this day and age, we're still operating um, in an old system, that we have a traditional publishing experience based on brick and mortar retail when books are sold online. And it is shocking to me that we're still having this conversation. I know. And so lest anybody wonders where this is coming from, you were deeply embedded in traditional publishing. Will you tell me about that? Absolutely. So I spent 10 years as a literary agent representing authors, selling their books to traditional publishers, um, shopping their proposals to HarperCollins and Simon Schuster and Penguin Random House. And I was doing about 50 deals a year. I've worked on over 26 New York Times bestsellers, um, primarily celebrity memoirs and self-help books and business books. And after 10 years, I felt like I was having the same conversation with every single author, which is their book would come out and they'd call me and they'd say three things. Whitney, number one, my book didn't sell as many copies as I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Number two, I did all the work. The publisher did nothing. And number three, I spent a year, two years writing this book, putting my heart and soul out there. I believe in this message. What do I do now? It feels like everyone's abandoned me. And I just thought there has to be some better tools in place and some better options for authors that really are IP generators. They have businesses, they have concepts, they've got content to put out in the world that doesn't have to follow this one broken pattern. And so tell me what you're doing now. So Anna, pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and like everybody else in 2020, um, you know, I had a brand new baby, my second little girl, and um, I I took the leap. I said, I think that there's, I think there are problems that I can solve in this industry. And I didn't know exactly what that was. Um, We started a ghostwriting firm. We represent ghostwriters. That's been a really successful arm of our business. I started doing a lot of consulting with different Um, entities, different businesses that were trying to figure out what do they do with their IP. Um, And then mid-2020, I launched a podcast company called Terra Firma. It's an arm of our content capital company. We we make, market, and monetize podcasts. And I just became so obsessed with audio because after working 10 years in books, audio was so fast to market. It was so trackable. It was easy to tweak. It was easier to put out there. And I really realized that it is a foundational product, a foundational um, channel that content creators need to have to create a successful business. 
And so our podcast company is called Terra Firma because we really believe that audio content can be that firm foundation you can build upon. That an author that has a podcast that has a direct-to-consumer channel where they're talking to their people every week, um, they're going to have a higher rate of sales when it comes to launching something like a book or an e-course or a t-shirt or a widget, whatever that Mm -hmm. might be. But of course, my world is books. So I'm thinking, how do you take content? How do you take conversations? Really use a podcast as this foundational audience builder to then launch the big idea. I love it. And you have a a very fancy partner in your company. Who's this? I do. I do. I launched Content Capital with Clint Greenleaf, who started Greenleaf Book Group, which was the first hybrid publisher in the space. Um, he started Greenleaf Book Group in the early 2000s, sold it 2009, left in 2011. And um, Clint came to me, was just an incredible mentor. We, we talked for years about things in the publishing space. And finally, we looked at each other and said, there's what he did in really launching hybrid publishing. Um, we think there's another wave of change happening. And how can we be a part of it? And for us, a big part of that's been building out audio channels. And so do you think an author needs to have the podcast first or it can go from from book to launching the podcast? So my preference is that people are podcasting far before they have a book. Mm. I work a lot with literary agents because it's my old world. And I say, call me when you sign a new author and you're a year, two years from a book coming out. Mm. Don't call me two weeks before a book comes out and think that you're going to launch a podcast and it's going to help you sell a book. Mm-hmm. We really love it when people are podcasting as they go through the um, the mm-hmm. process of creating that content. One, they get to test their content and get real-time feedback from their audience, but also they're starting to grow this relationship. So when their book comes out, they now have a place they can start to talk to people. They can market their book. They can talk about their book and already have a tribe of people connected to them. So I even think about a lot of your authors, Anna, and how do you Uh, How, if they're listening to this right now, how are they thinking about starting to test their content as they're writing their book, as they're in that production process? Now, we still do podcasts where we drop a limited 10 episode series that mirrors the chapters of the book. But when we're doing something like that, we're looking at it as a priority initiative. We're looking at it as an upsell. We're looking at it as bonus content for the book, not necessarily as a podcast that's going to be a consistent lead gen for their business, for their brand, and and pushing people back to the book. Oh my God, you just gave me the most genius idea. When you when I hear a genius idea, my heart starts to race. I'm very in touch with my body. And I'm writing a book right now that I'm telling my newsletter people about. I posted about it this morning. I have never done a podcast episode about it. It's all about how to build your authority with a book. I could be constantly creating episodes about it. And Anna, one of the things people think is they think, oh, if I'm going to do a podcast, I need to go through my Rolodex and find all my most famous friends and get Mm. them to do an interview. And the reality is that that's not why people listen to podcasts. They don't need to go hear another mediocre interview from someone that they've heard eight other times. A lot of times when we look at podcast statistics, the best performing episodes are solo monologues. Or their conversations with somebody that helps pull out of you, the host, your best content. Because the data shows us the number one reason people listen to a podcast is because they trust the host. So you just sharing somebody else's story doesn't actually create a relationship between you and your listener. 
The other sort of misnomer is that it's got to be super long. Mm -hmm. The average length of a podcast is about um, 34 minutes. So we have a lot of podcasters who their best episodes are 10 or 15 minutes. It's for a busy person. It's for a working mom. It's for somebody that doesn't have an hour. Um, But they have got little chunks of time that they know I can get my hit. I know exactly what I'm getting. The biggest thing with podcasting is consistency. So whatever you decide that format is that works best for you and that cadence of release that works best for you, it's sticking with that consistently. Absolutely. And I I was just reading through your materials this morning and it's 26% of podcasts out there are actually active. Yes. So people always go, Whitney, I don't want to do a podcast. There's like a million out there. Everybody's got a podcast. How is that going to help me? I'm just going to be crowded noise. Of course, usually the next question is, can you get me a book deal with HarperCollins? So I'm like, <laughs> do you not think there's also a million books out there? Right. Um, but when we look at the data, there's 3 million podcasts that have about that are released. Of those 3 million, only 156,000 of those have podcast uh, more than 10 episodes, have released a new episode in the last month and have released a new episode in the past seven days. Mm. So what this data shows us is that most people try it and they can't stick with it, or um, they get burned out really quickly, or they're not consistent with creating new content. And so it's not 3 million that you're up against, it's about 150,000 that you're up against. And when you start whittling those down into categories, um, it's not as competitive as people think. The other thing I like to tell people is it feels like there's a very low entry to podcasting. I'll just get a mic off Amazon. I'll plug it into my computer. I can buy a software for 50 bucks that edits it. But there's actually a pretty high threshold to creating a quality podcast. And so really making sure you're doing something that's thoughtful and strategic. And um, it's no different than publishing a book, right? When people are like, oh, I don't need to spend money on publishing a book. I can self-publish for free. I'm going to go get an editor off Fiverr for, you know, $200. Mm-hmm. Well, then they wonder why their book looks like it was printed in somebody's basement and has a right. typo on the cover. Right. So just how you would invest in publishing your book the correct way. The reason why I tell people go talk to my friend Anna about publishing, because you create a high quality product. It's the same conversation we're having on the podcasting side. Mm-hmm. The consumer knows if your book wasn't proved. They know if your cover looks terrible. Mm -hmm. Same thing on a podcast. They know if it sounds bad. They know if it's edited poorly. They're used to having intro music. Mm -hmm. So creating something of quality also becomes an important factor here. If you're trying to reach a certain demographic that is looking and listening for quality content. And another thing I noticed you do is you guys will revamp a podcast. And and I will say, I'm somebody who longtime listeners know I have revamped and revamped and revamped. Yes. And I think for my creativity, I have had to do that. And many times it's really impossible to tell what's going to speak to your heart when you're first starting out. So what do you think about iterating? Totally. So think of it sort of like a website. You want your website to be done, but anyone who's built out a website knows it changes all the time. You buy a house, yay, it's purchased, but then you're painting it and then you're moving a wall and then the fixtures you picked last year are out of date. It's the same with a podcast. We love doing a refresh. That can be artwork. That can be changing the intro music. We typically work with our podcasters doing that refresh about once a year. 
we coach into uh, podcasting in seasons. And so there becomes some natural breaks that make sense to change things up. Mm. The other thing is you're, you're going to be, you know, the world changes, your expertise changes, your business changes. You need to have a space that you can flex really quickly. So if your book is your core message, if the book is the message you want to be talking about for the next 10 years, because it's a lot harder to add and subtract and re-upload to distribution channels, a new cover, the podcast can be this more flexible experience where Mm -hmm. even if something happens, the world that changes your perspective today, you can podcast and have it out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it can be this more flexible experience. And so we work with a lot of podcasters who either go, I've been doing this a long time and I've hit a wall. Like, why is this not growing? Why is this not working? Um, And really helping them understand some of the weird little quirky things that make a difference mm-hmm. um, or who say this feels a little tired. I need some new energy just breathed into this creatively. And I think really <clears throat> you and I both agree that one of the major misconceptions people have is that with podcasts is you have to have all these downloads and then you have to get like whatever, uh, you know, those advertisers. Um, yes. And, and that to me is like pinching pennies over what you can actually sell as a result of your authority having a podcast. Exactly. So let me give you a little 101 in podcast monetization. The big we work with a, a number of podcast monetization companies and if we have a podcast that has a million downloads we can sell ads to Casper mattresses and Warby Parker and all in away suitcases and all the big brands you hear on the big podcasts you listen to. It's a little bit like a traditional publishing deal. If you've got enough attention that you can go get a million dollar deer with Harper Collins, that might be the right choice for you. But it also might be the right choice to say, if I've got enough attention that I can sell direct to consumer, is that data more important to me than that advance? Mm-hmm. So a CPM, uh, is how we we sell against podcasts, which is usually which is against every thousand downloads. So for every thousand downloads you get, a, a one advertising spot in that show is going to be between twenty five and thirty five dollars a CPM. So per thousand downloads, think about twenty five dollars. Mm-hmm. Now you maybe have two or three ads. Of course, you've got to be able to sell those ads. Those advertisers have to stay with you. They have to see a return. But when you start doing the math on that. It's a lot of downloads you have to get for not a whole lot of dollars. Yeah. Where the real money's made, or some of our podcasters maybe have a thousand downloads, they have 5,000 downloads, they have 20 or 30,000 downloads. But in their spots, they're selling their book, they're selling their coaching, they're selling an e course, they're selling a product. All of a sudden, this podcast becomes a foundational place to upsell the other things they have going on in their world. Mm -hmm. And so, how do you use this show? not just the ad space in it, but how do you also use it as IP that can be um, flexed and, and used in other ways? So marketing teams always say I'm their best friend because from a you know 40 minute long podcast, we've got transcriptions, we've got video clips. Mm-hmm. We can turn this into a LinkedIn article. We can turn it into an op-ed. We can turn it into social clips, YouTube shorts, TikTok videos. All of a sudden, this one podcast is IP that can be spread in multiple ways. So not always is it about the number of downloads. If you're converting through a listener on your podcast, a big consulting deal or a bulk book buy, that oftentimes is far more profitable than selling a spot to Casper mattresses. The other thing I like to think about is um, uh, on your podcast, how can it be a strategic tool for growing your bigger business? So maybe there's uh, things that are taking up your time that would be better put in audio form. So 
For example, we have a podcaster who's the CEO of a large uh, franchise company. He realized that he uh, was able to send his podcast out to every one of his franchise owners and answer questions they had about what was going on within the company. And it was saving him hours and hours and hours and hours of phone calls and emails a week. His podcast only gets two or 300 downloads an episode, but the time it's saving him, the ROI mm-hmm. on the time it's saving him is massive. So really figuring out who are your people and what is the content they want from you? It doesn't have to be the biggest numbers if they're going deeper and deeper and deeper with you and listening to your show and buying your course, and buying your book. Now they're bulk ordering your book. Now they're having you speak. Now they're bu- getting a consulting package from you. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this can be a really layered experience. It can be far more profitable than just massive downloads. Anna here. Now, are you an entrepreneur who wants to write and publish a book about your own failures turned successes? Well, good news. That's what my company, Legacy Launchpad, does. Find out more at LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. That's LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. Now, should you do a book, you ask? I think so. Why? Because you're worth it. Now back to the show. Yeah, it's very similar to to book. People are like, my book sales, and I'm checking my book sales. I've never checked my book sales. Why would I care about the pennies when I can care about the thousands? Um, so, so interesting. I, um, you know, and actually it's very relevant because we had originally talked about, I said, I want my clients to know about you. Hmm, what should we do like a video thing with them? And then I thought, oh, let's record a podcast so that listeners can also find out and I can send this to clients. So- Okay. So let's say somebody is, so they're working on their book right now and they, and they hear this and they go, okay, I got to start a podcast. What should they do? Yeah. So the first thing that they should do is figure out who is their audience and what do they want their audience to know? A lot of times you start writing a book out of a problem. We talk a lot about what is the felt need? What is the question that your audience is asking that you're going to answer in your book? Backing out of that even further, what are the conversations that your audience is having that you want to move them through before the book even comes out? Or what is the relationship you want to have with this consumer? And then it's figuring out what's your budget. And I always think a podcast should really be part of the marketing budget for your book because you can go buy a bunch of Amazon ads and you probably should and start to get some attention around your book launch. But if somebody's bought your book, if it's sitting on their nightstand and they're not reading it, then we does it really matter? Yeah. Are they really moving deeper into your content? A lot of times a podcast is a reminder for people. It's showing up on their phone every week. I see it again. Oh, I should really listen to that. Oh, that topic, I can give it 20 minutes. I'm not committing to you know two weeks of reading the book. And so really thinking of a, the podcast is a long lead marketing tool for your book. So think about what is your budget around the launch of your book? What is, the bu- what is your marketing budget around your business? How much can you put around it? creating a podcast. And then I would really encourage people to do it the correct way. So whether that's hiring somebody like our team that does full production or finding a company um, locally that does that in a way that works for you, it is so important to get that counsel and do it the right way. It, it is more important and I think more productive to have a 10 episodes that are sharp and incredible and you keep pointing back to than having 500 episodes that no one wants to listen to because the quality is so terrible. And so we prefer working with people from the very beginning where we can help figure out what is the hook of the show? What is the title of the show? What is the artwork of the show? 
based not only on what they're trying to say, but also what's going on in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. We did a consulting um, uh, call earlier today with a client of ours. Well, her podcast title's fine, but there's about 50 other podcasts with the same title. So when they type in the name of her podcast, it doesn't even show up on Apple. Mm-hmm. She never thought about that, but I would so much rather have that, uh, since we have the eye on the market, have that conversation at the beginning with somebody, then they go, well, I've tried podcasting. It doesn't work for me because they didn't do it right. And a lot of people find podcasts not on the podcast app. I happen to be anti the iTunes podcast app. Whenever they redid it, I I just, I don't understand it anymore. It's a terrible user experience. It's horrible. I used to overcast. I I should overcast. If you're listening, I really enjoy your app. Um, so people are, and we have, and we have some, uh, advertising spots available for you too, if you'd like, (laughs) Oh, on over, I think I have advertised. That's another thing too. I've spent a tiny bit on like doing it. I did do overcast. It was like pretty reasonable. And I definitely got subscribers or followers as they call them now. Yes, Yes. yes. Um, but, but a lot of people are searching online. They're going, uh, publishing podcasts, um, and things like that. Podcast metadata, podcast show descriptions are becoming crucially important Mm. for acting like website SEO. And so understanding who you're trying to reach and what they're searching for really does become important. There is a science to how you write show description notes so that they are showing up on a Google um, search. Mm -hmm. We also found that there's a number of platforms people listen, listen to shows on. You need to understand how those platforms work. So many times people are using a third party hosting platform that's not even sending their show to all the listening apps. Mm. So there's some really simple block and tackle stuff that people don't know that can really be affecting how people are discovering their show. And it's no different than publishing. I mean, it's when people probably call you, Anna, and they're like, well, why is my book, you know, it, the, the paperback showing up on Barnes and Noble, but the hardcover isn't, or my mm-hmm. audiobook is only in Google, but it's not showing up on iTunes or like, there are things that when you're in this industry, you understand how they work. And if it's your first time doing it, pay the money to hire the expert that's already made the mistakes because the time you'll waste trying to figure it out isn't worth it. Amen. And another thing about listeners, I had um, Alex Sanfilippo on the podcast and he said something that I had never thought of, which is he said, People think of podcast listeners like social media, like 50 likes isn't a lot. That's 50 people. If you walked into a room and 50 people would listen to you for an hour, wouldn't that feel pretty good? Yeah. I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah. People have this misconception that because podcasting is free, it's top of the funnel content, but it's actually bottom of the funnel content. For somebody to say, I'm giving you one hour of my time is actually somebody who probably has already decided that they like and trust you. Mm -hmm. So your podcast listenership is actually your best converting audience. Um, It's not like Instagram where I'm flipping through and I'll follow you. To say I'm going to subscribe to a podcast, there's already a pretty good relationship there. So secret to listeners, Big major publishers are now looking for podcasters who have successful downloads over Instagrammers who have big numbers of followers because the ROI is there. Somebody who already says, I like your content, I'm listening to your podcast, likely is going to have a higher um, conversion book sales than somebody who just, I like their picture, I like them dancing on TikTok. So thinking about that show, these are people that likely already know me, they've already experienced me in some way. 
And it's a great customer retention tool to keep mm-hmm. people that maybe are customers from your business in other ways in your circle, in your community. Um, the other thing is there's also oftentimes a thought that a podcast has to be free. That's not always the best strategic tool. We have a lot of clients that have their podcast as part of a subscription program. It's behind a paywall. Maybe it's one series that's a set fee. So as your audience grows, as you have more attention around you, that that content is highly valuable mm. and doesn't always have to be this free lead gen. It can become gated content at the appropriate time of a strategy that can actually be massive income for you. Mm. Now, one thing that I wanted to go back to in terms of changing titles, and I asked for personal reasons, yeah. how often is too often to change the title? So the title of your podcast should be consistent because you should build a brand around that. Mm-hmm. You don't want people to think I'm listening to Anna to hear about um, book publishing. And then all of a sudden she's talking about how to be a supermodel. Like that, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's just jarring to me. We like to brand a podcast very similarly to how your business is branded and make sure that there's language that's consistent throughout that. Now we are big believers in having changes within a calendar year. So for a series, so thinking about what are four series a year you can do that are 10 episodes each. So rather than thinking I've got a podcast forever, what are four conversations I have each one being 10 episodes? So it's really easy to say I've got the X podcast, but I'm doing a 10 episode series on this and have sort of a subtitle catch all that lets people know this is a series we're in this content that kind of fits together. That also really helps your backlist. Just like in books, we'd love to have royalties where a book is selling and selling and selling. Mm-hmm. And it's an old book that continues to have sales. Mm-hmm. We love having a podcast series that's a year, two, three years old, but it's a series of content that you get asked about all the time that's still super relevant that people go back and listen to. So let me ask you this again, personal reasons. What if you're changing the title, but you're not changing the topic? You're just iterating the title. Bad? You probably need to pick one and stick with it. Okay, but what if you're a Gemini? Yeah. (laughs) Then you need a really great Wrangler. So, okay, I'm just asking this because it's come up again. So I've changed Launchpad, and then I had um, my friend suggested Entrepreneur Publishing Academy. I happen to love it, and there are many who do. My friend Eddie Pepitone, who's so funny, was giving me such a hard time. He's like, those three words that just roll off the tongue, like they really belong together. However, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the audience I wanted, entrepreneurs, and um, the words they would be searching for. Of course, no one can spell entrepreneurs. So there's that. Right. But then I was thinking, so I did that first of January, a year ago, if you're listening on time. And and then I was like, I kind of want to change it again to get, because now I'm doing branding around authority, like author authority, but it's, it's bad to change it again. If you are moving your whole brand in a certain direction, it should match. But what you don't want to do is continue to change so often that people are confused. So if you're creating the Entrepreneur Academy over here and you've got e-courses that are under that and you've got webinars and content that's already under that. You don't want all of that to be lost. So I would say overall, it should be somewhat consistent verbiage. And you've got to figure out what you want to build around. If you're uninspired, then you're not going to stick with it. 
So it's better to change it if it keeps your attention than not to do it at all. But find something that you really love and see how it can grow. I I love that advice. However, it changes every year. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Um, You just And here's the problem. If you start creating new feeds, then people start looking for you and they're confused. I never change the feed. Okay, I know good, that's bad good. too. Or I mean, it's confusing. I This was once, If hello, one listener who has been with me for six years. This was once a, a podcast about addiction recovery. Yeah. And by the way, it was much more popular than it was because it was the first addiction recovery podcast. And then as it's changed, I've lost people, but I have so much more passion for it that I don't care. Yeah. yeah. And it's a strategic part of, your brand and your business and where you're able to really help people. And oftentimes what we see is that people start a podcast over a passion. Like I'd really love to talk about this and it actually isn't part of the strategic plan of what they're trying to grow. And, and then they have this disconnect. Well, my business is X, but my podcast is Y. Why do I feel pulled in a million directions instead of going, my podcast feeds my business because it's a different side of the diamond. But again, I'm repurposing that material into tools and resources and, you know, assets that help grow my business. Um, if yep. it's a passion project that needs to live outside of your business, then you just have to know that you're starting something really from scratch and the ROI of it's going to look different. Yep. Yep. Well said. So, okay. Now, and then here's another thing, the book I'm currently writing is based on this podcast. So that is something someone else. So you could write a book. I mean, sorry, you could have a podcast, get your audience, write the book, and then use the podcast interviews or whatever content it is to write another book. Exactly. And we have so many clients who podcast for a year and then they call me and go, Whitney, I've got hundreds of thousands of words of powerful transcripts. Clearly I need to turn this into a book. And that's when I say, go talk to Anna, because I don't want to help you do do that. But figuring out, uh, it's incredible to see. And you also know, oh, wait, I did this one series that popped off and it was amazing. Now I know what the next book needs to be. Now, what I would tell you is sometimes what we want to do then is we want to pull down those 10 episodes so that they're not public, write the book on it. And then we will re-release those 10 episodes as gated content for only people who pre-order the book. So we can repurpose this content in a million ways. I think the biggest misconception people have is that IP can only live in one format. And if there's one thing I hope people hear today is that IP should live, should be working for you. Your IP should be working for you. It should live in a bunch of different ways. It should be constantly uh, repackaged. It should be um, cut up and diced up and, and put back together. We should have compilations. We should have different skins on it so that it is working for you in lots and lots of different ways. And it's one of the reasons that traditional publishing can be so handcuffed is because when you sell the rights to your best idea, you can't do other things with it. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, okay, let's make an incredible book, but then off that book that you've already spent all this time and energy and resources creating, let's make an e-course, let's make a podcast, let's make um, short videos, Let's turn this long book into five mini books that you sell at a lower price point only at your live events. Okay, now let's take it and turn it into a workbook Mm -hmm. that you use as part of your consulting. So 
how how do we use your your great ideas that only you have that are you know specific to you and your experiences and that you are called to share with this world and make them take lots of forms so good wait so but let me clarify so so <laughs> i'm just i'm just shamelessly using this as free consulting so yeah, let's please. say i record 10 episodes about the book I'm writing right now. Yes. When I release the book, I would remove them from all the platforms and then release them just for pre-orders. Is that, is that? That's one strategy. So mm-hmm. it's a strategy that I think can work really well. Again, it depends on the content, depends on your download numbers, things of that nature. But if you've got this great content and you've already turned those transcripts into a book and it's the bulk of your ideas right there, then pulling them and using them as a resource to get people to buy the book early or buy the book and then they get those. And then as they're listening, they're reminded of the book concept that they want to go back to can be a great tool. Interesting. And nobody out there is going to look and go, wait, this, I love this interview. It's disappeared. No one's going to remember or notice. Well, they can go get it if they want. They just have to buy the book. Yes. I'm loving this. Okay. So we have to wrap up. What have I failed to ask you that you want to talk about? Oh gosh, I I don't know. I, I will say one plug, podcasting goes hand in hand with audiobooks. Yes. And so if you are an author listening and you are in the process, or even if you have a, a title that you released with Anna two years ago and you don't have an audiobook, you need to call Anna right now and get an audiobook recorded, whether that's with a narrator or with yourself recording it. Audio sales are booming. With the rise of spoken word audio, pod, uh, podcasting, and audiobooks, uh, data is combined in a lot of those statistics. Mm-hmm. And you are doing yourself a disservice by not maximizing the impact of your book by also having it in audiobook format. Now, one question too if you have a podcast and you record an audiobook, should you release chapters of your audiobook in your podcast feed? You can do one, like one reading but not more than that. Interesting. Um, Okay. Noted. I've done three. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is also great. And we should clarify, you work with people all over because if it's someone who can't come into the studio or whatever, you just advise them or send them equipment, correct? Exactly. So we work with people all over the world. Um, We do full podcast production. We do full uh, podcast consulting, everything from soup to nuts when it comes to podcasting. And we have a studio here in Austin. We have some uh, clients that like to fly in. We have a number of clients that fly in two or three times a year and we batch record with them. And then uh, everybody else records remotely and we've got incredible producers that can remote in. Well, fabulous. Whitney, if people want to find out more about you and what you do, where should they go? Yeah, you can go to contentcapital.com or whitneygossett.com and get more information. And it's gossip with two T's. It'll be in the show notes, but yes, two two S's and two T's. Love it. Thank you, Whitney, so much. And thanks, you guys, for listening. Thanks for joining me this week on Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with Anna David. For more info about the show, go to entrepreneurpublishing.academy, where you can get links to show notes and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and all the other places. Speaking of those places, if you got anything out of this show, I can't tell you how much I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. And please don't forget you can tell an author or entrepreneur friend about the show. 
Another forget-me-not, my company, Legacy Launchpad Publishing, is available to help industry leaders and those with stories to share at any stage in their publishing journeys, whether that's writing, editing, or publishing. Just go to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com to find out more. And be sure to tune in next week for well, next week's episode. You know, if you subscribe, you never have to worry about missing one.